Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. It is a pleasure and a joy to be with you here today. If this is your first time tuning in online or at one of our physical campuses, we want to welcome you. And if you're a returning attender, we want to welcome you wherever you are at our Banta campus, Franklin campus, Garfield Park campus, online campus, Greenwood campus, wherever you're at. Can we give it up for all of our regular attenders and first time guests? I love you guys. We are wrapping up a series today called After God's Heart, and we've been looking at this idea that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God, or seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, or seek his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's one of the most profound, insightful things, most helpful things that Jesus ever give, uh, gave us concerning our life here on earth. And it does impact our life after this, uh, this life as well. And what, he, what that essentially means is Jesus was saying, in, you know, he was saying, join me in what I'm doing on earth right now. My activity, my will, my desires, the things that I'm choosing to do, uh, leave your kingdom. In fact, his message was this, repent of your kingdom or repent of your sins and step into my kingdom. Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand. Live with me, walk with me through this life and I will show you what eternal life looks like. I will show you what abundant life looks like. And uh, what we've said in this series is that not many people are choosing to live that way. He, Jesus said that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many people choose to go that way. And then he said, but narrow is the gate and small is the way that leads to life, and only a few people find it. What we said in this series is, what if, what if we decided to be one of the few? What if we decided, what if you decided to be a person who sought the kingdom of God? Another way to say that would be, you would, be become, you would become a person after God's own heart. That statement was actually made of a man named David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The scripture says that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all that I want him to do. We said if we were going to decide to become a person who sought the kingdom of God, we could follow David's example because he tried to seek the kingdom. It was said of him that his heart was aligned with God's heart. And we've been looking at what that means over the last couple of weeks. In week number one, we said that he was simply willing to obey. Like his first inclination, the, the primary concern of his life was God getting what God wanted. And, and so because of that, he was a man after God's own heart. Week number two, we talked about his desire to please God rather than people. And being a people pleaser is a big problem for many of us. And so hopefully that helped you uh, in week number two. And then last week, we talked about um, the, the, the concept of repentance and how it's being a person after God's own heart is not about being perfect. It's not about being sinless. It's what happens after you blow it that determines whether or not you're a person after God's own heart or, uh, or a man or a woman after God's own heart. And we saw David turn from his sin after he heard the word of God through the prophet Nathan. 
Nathan and he confessed his sin and then we looked at Psalm 51. And so that's where we've been in this series. If you want to catch all the, any of those talks, you can do that on YouTube. Today I want to look at this last idea, this last principle that I really think help David to execute on all the other things we've talked about in this series so far. If, you want, if you're a note taker, grab a pen, jot this down on your phone. David loved God's word. Why was David a man after God's own heart? He loved God's word. He read it, he wrote it, he sung it, he meditated on it, he studied it. Now specifically, David studied the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets, but he loved God's word. Now, how many of you have ever heard me or another pastor or someone in your life, a spiritual leader say, you should read God's word. You should love God's word. You should study it. You should spend time in it. How many of you heard a pastor or a spiritual leader say that? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, I have too. I have too. I've said that many, many times. I encourage it. I've heard others encourage me. Tell me if this isn't the way you feel sometimes when you hear a pastor say that. It's sort of like hearing the dentist say to you, um, you know, um, here's the deal with your, with your teeth. You know, uh, you're brushing, that's fine, but you need to floss. How many heard your dentist say that? Like flossing is almost more important than brushing. You know, I've heard my dentist say that many times. And, and then when they leave, they give you a little box of floss. You know, here you go. And, uh, you know, you might get motivated for a few days and you, and, uh, and you might actually try it. You might actually do it. Uh, but then most of us, what do we do? What do we do after that? Yeah, we throw it in the drawer and, you know, who knows where that little box of floss goes. And, and, and every now and then we might get motivated because we ate some popcorn or something like that. You know, we get something stuck in there. We're looking for the floss in the drawer. And where is that? You know, anybody else? Anybody else? No? Okay. So we, we kind of think about the Bible like that. It's like, yeah, I know I should read it, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm so busy. And, and, and the last time I opened it up, I didn't know what the heck the guy was talking about. It didn't even make sense to me. I don't know where to start. This is what people say to me. Well, where would I start? Should I do Genesis chapter 1, like if I were to read it? We don't know where to start. We don't know what it means. We're, we're, we say things like, I'm so busy. And we know we should do it. Pastor so-and-so said to do it. And, and, and you believe it. It's not that you don't believe it. You believe the Bible. It's just that, man, life and I'm busy, and I got kids, and a job, and who has time to read the Bible? Anybody? I'm going to say some things today that I think are going to help us throw all the excuses out, because it's worked for me, and I figure if it works for me, it's going to work for you, okay? So I think you're going to leave today, and, and you're not going to think about the Bible as if it's flossing your teeth ever again for the rest of your life after you hear what I have to say. Isn't that exciting? You excited to hear this? I hope you got your pens out. And you're like, man, it's going to be good. Okay. And I didn't say these things, okay? This is King David. This is just me kind of repeating things that he has said, wrote, and lived out. David loved God's word. Listen to what he wrote. These are his words in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Watch this. Watch this. The words of the Lord, okay? So again, he's referring to Old Testament, Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets. The words of the Lord are pure words. Now this word, this Hebrew word here means flawless, without error, completely pure, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. He has this idea of a, of a, of a person who, who works with metal or makes jewelry or makes uh, swords or tools. That, that this, this, this sort of, a, uh, I don't know what they were called. I can't think of it right now for some reason. Uh, but they worked, they worked with metal. And uh, they would melt it down and they would purify it and they would build things with metal. He says, you know what? The words of God are like the purest metal that you can make. 
See, when you would burn silver, when you would burn gold, you would, you would get the dross out or other types of impurities. And, and so we all know that there's 14 karat gold, there's 18 karat gold, there's 20 karat gold, 24 karat gold. And I always thought, like, what, what does gold have to do with carrots? Like, you know, like that, that, that rabbit's eat. Now, I was confused. Anyway, but it hasn't, that's not, it's a different carrot. But, but essentially, I, what I discovered with the help of my friends is that, is that gold has 24 parts to it, okay? So, and so when it's 14 karat gold, that means 14 out of the 24 parts are pure gold. And then there's these other 10 parts that are aluminum or some other sort of metal. So the closer you get to 24 karat gold, the purer the metal is, and so David is saying that God's word is like 24 karat gold. All the impurities, deceit, manipulation, lies, errors, they're gone. It's pure truth. Now, I don't know about you, but in a world where people are always talking on the television, on the phone, and whether it's your friends, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your employer, whether it's political leaders. And they're talking constantly, right? You're talking constantly. And what's coming out of their mouth are half truths, 75% truths, 25% lies, sometimes 50% lies. We don't know who to believe in our world today. Everybody's got an agenda. Your ex-wife, your ex-husband, oh man, they were liars, weren't they? Come on, come on. They lied about everything. And then you come to this book and it's like, no lies. 100% truth, no deception, no manipulation, no errors. This is how David approached God, God's word. And because it was totally pure and flawless, he could have 100% confidence in what God said, unlike what people say. So in Psalm 1, we don't know if Psalm 1 was written by David, but it is one of my favorite psalms, and, and, and uh, I think it should be your fav- one of your favorite psalms. How about that? I'll just say that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating that what we see in Psalm 1 is describing a godly person, a godly man or a godly woman, or what we could say is a man or a woman after God's own heart. I love Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man or the person that doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2. But his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. It's in the scriptures. And on that law, he or she meditates day and night. This is an action word. It doesn't say that he or she reads it or studies it. It says that he or she meditates on it. Now, what does that word meditate mean? Well, the Hebrew word means it's kind of a, 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 a difficult word to put English words on. Um, uh, it, it, has this, it's, it's, it carries the idea of, of musing and repeating and muttering and chewing. So, now I grew up in the city, I don't know much about cows, but what I've heard from those who, those who understand cows is what they do is they, when they eat, they chew a lot. And they chew and they chew and they chew and they chew and they chew. This is the concept of meditation. And then what they do, evidently, is they swallow, and then a little bit later, they throw it back up. This is fun, right? And then can, can you get that image in your head? So they vomit up what they, what they chewed, and then guess what they do? They chew it some more, and they chew it some more, and they chew it some more, and they, it's called cud at that point. I, that's a, evidently, that, that's what it's called. It's nasty, okay? But what they're doing 
is they are meditating on that grass. They are chewing on that grass. This is what the word means. David says, not David, the author of Psalm 1 says, the, the, the man of God, the woman of God gets in this book and they just go over it and over it and over it and they muse on it and think about it and they chew on it and they soak themselves. It's as if this sponge were your brain and, and this is what the man of God or the woman of God does. They get their main and they soak their mind in the word of God. They saturate it. They get, the, they get that verse in their mind and they go over it backwards forward to think about every word in the sentence and they chew on it and they chew on it and they swallow it and they throw it up and chew on it some more. I know that's gross, but that's what they do. That's what the word means. So much so when, they, when their mind comes out of the word, it's just, it's just totally sad. Their, their brain is totally saturated the word with the word of God. Perhaps the, the passage that I've done this most with is Psalm 23. I repeat it to myself as often as I can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every single day. It's only six verses. Can you memorize six verses? Why is it that that is in my brain? It's because here's what I've, I've taken my brain and I've soaked it in Psalm 23. I've soaked it. So when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, which basically means when I go through difficulty, anybody else going through difficulty right now? I will fear no evil because he's with me, his rod and his staff. That's what a shepherd would carry. They would carry a rod and a staff to beat away the wolves and to, and to hook, the sheep and bring them, hook the sheep and bring them close in. This is in my brain, this is in my heart. And so there's, there's just not a, not a lot of fear in my life. There's not a lot of worry. There's not a lot of anxiety. Because I'm, God is with me in the kingdom. That's kingdom life. Psalm 23. If you want to learn how to live in the kingdom, meditate in Psalm 23. It's no wonder when you look at back at Psalm 1, we're going to jump back to Psalm 1 now, right? This, this person delights in the law of the Lord and, and, and on his law, it's his meditation day and night. Look at the fruit. Look at the result in verse 3. Watch this. He is like, she is like a plant, uh, uh, she's like a, a, a tree planted by streams of water. It has its roots down deep into the ground and they tap into the water. Now water in the scriptures represents the word of God, represents the spirit of God, the power of God. So the roots go down deep and they get in, they're, they're right by the river. And so those roots are sucking up the water and it's coming up through the, the trunk of the tree into the branches and guess what? This tree yields its fruit, whatever it is, bananas, apples, peaches, whatever you, whatever, whatever, you know, Jesus would say it like this, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control, and integrity, and purity, and courage, lots and lots of fruit on that person's tree. Its leaf does not wither. In other words, there's no death on this person's life. There's just lots of fruitfulness and whatsoever this person does, he prospers. His marriage prospers. Her marriage prospers. Relationship with his kids prosper. Business prof prospers. Why is there so much prosperity and fruit in this person's life? It's because he or she has taken his mind and, and soaked it down into the word of God. And that has, has put them down into the strength and the power of God for everyday living. Is this making sense? See, we're not talking about flossing here. This isn't like, oh man, I should read the Bible. Oh, pastor said so. 
No, this is like, I want life. I want fruitfulness. I want strength for life. I want joy. I want to live the fullest life I can possibly live. So what am I going to do? I'm going to meditate on the words. They're pure words. Refined like silver seven times. Completely trustworthy. Most people are not living this way. They're struggling, and that's understandable. No, people are not meditating on God's word. They're not taking the time to do it. And so it's no wonder the fruit on their trees is drying up, and there's frustration, there's discouragement, there's anxiety, like a plague in our nation. There's anger, there's hatred, there's frustration, there's short-temperedness, there's impatience. Just yesterday, Friday, I was in Starbucks and I was just sitting there doing my Sabbath reading and just, just hanging out, me and, me and God, and, and this, this, this other gentleman looks at me and says, hey, hey, he knew who I was. He said, hey, Danny, there's a, there's a van outside parked and uh, there's a baby inside and the, the, the mother is not in the van and it's like 91 degrees outside. Now you've heard these stories, right? Children dying inside of cars, it happens all the time. Parents are busy, they forget their kids. So he said, well, you know, let's call the police. And I was like, oh man, I'm just, I call the police. I'm sitting here, it's chilling. I don't want to do 911 thing, you know? I said, let me go check it out. So I get up and I go outside and I look, sure, I'm walking around the van and I can see there's a baby inside, the baby's sleeping. And uh, you, you can't really tell if the car is on, but I listened really closely to the engine and the engine was running and the air conditioner was running. So I was like, okay, it's great, no problem. On my way back inside Starbucks, uh, I see this lady walking towards me, and she is, she's not happy, not a happy mama. And she, see, she saw me circling her van, and she walks over to me, and she says, is it on? Is the van on? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's on. I said, but there's somebody got nervous in Starbucks. I was just coming to check it out. I'm on your side. I want, I got, I want to help. I'm, you know. I'm a pastor, didn't say that. Wanted to, wanted to, didn't say it. Didn't pull a pastor card. She was mad. She said some other very, very angry words towards me and, and she had a mask on so I couldn't really hear exactly what it was, but it wasn't nice. <laughs> so I go back inside Starbucks and I'm like, man, people, right on edge, you know? So evidently, I didn't see this, but evidently as she was walking back to her car after, after she left the store, uh, she, she, she gave the, the, the two of us in Starbucks, she gave us the good old your number one signal. And I thought, Jesus, you know, that's two, out, two weeks in a row that I have been flipped off. What in the world? Like, uh, what is happening to our culture? All I want to do is, you know, love people and, unless I'm in a roundabout. And then I, you know, then it's my fault. Then it's my fault. I, I, I own that part. There's just, listen, we all struggle, but there's just not a whole lot of joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness out there today. And I wonder if it's because we're, as individuals, and we're not taking time to soak into the word of God. David wrote in Psalm 119, I believe Psalm 119 was written by David. In 162, he said this, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers great treasure. Do you view God's word that way? I do. At this point in my life, I'm like, I cannot wait to just, it's like treasure. Every single day I receive life from the spirit of God as I read the word of God. Do you see God's, it's not like flossing. It's not, it's treasure. You lose out when you don't meditate and get in this book. Let me share three reasons why David says this book is treasure, this book is life. 
In your notes there, I'm going to look at Psalm 19. We're going to look at verse 7. We're going to look at verse 8. Psalm 119, three things David points out. The reason he loves God's word, loves God's word. Number one, God's word revives the soul. It it brings the soul back to life. That's what it does. I need it and you need it. Look at verse 7 in Psalm chapter 19. The instructions, or that's another word for the scriptures, decrees, commandments, they all mean the same thing. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. They're flawless again. He says it again. They are without error. And here's what they do. They revive the soul. This Hebrew word here is the word sheb, S-H-E-B. It means to turn you back to life, to turn you back to God, to turn you back to the paths of righteousness. How many of you are honest enough that it takes you probably less than 24 hours to drift away from God? I'm a pastor, and I'll admit it. Like, give me about 24 hours. If I'm not thinking straight, I'm chasing something sinful. I'm thinking something sinful. I'm drifting away from God. I'm a human being just like you are. And so because of that reality, I'm like, gosh, I need this book. I need it because what it does is it turns me back to God. Isn't this what happened with David? David commits adultery. Then he commits murder. Guess who comes? Nathan. What does Nathan give him? He gives him the words of God. You are that man. When David hears the words of God, he turns back to God. He repents. I need it and you need it every single day. Here's what's interesting about Christians. And, And I know not everybody's a Christian today. It's our hope that you would become one. But here's what's interesting about Christians as I, as I talk to them about the, their, their habits of getting in this book. Here's what they say. Well, you know, I messed up. I messed so I, you know, I felt ashamed of myself. I should know better by now. And, and then in my guilt and in my shame, I stopped reading the book. And I get that. You feel like a hypocrite. You've committed the same sin that you've been committing for years. You feel shame, you feel guilt, and sometimes you just feel like, what's the point of even picking it back up again? Here's here's what I want to encourage you with. It's in that very moment where you feel that, that shame, that guilt, that, that rationalizing of, well, what's even the point? I've blown it again, I've sinned again, I lost my temper, whatever the whatever the sin is. It's in that very moment that God would say, Go back to the book because what the book does is it brings you back to life. It brings you back to the path of righteousness when you've blown it. So I'm convinced of that. So for the last, I don't know, decade, I've read my Bible every day. I don't say that to brag. I don't say that to make myself look good. I say that to let you know that I'm an idiot. And in my idiocy, in my blundering, That's the reason I go back to the book because I know I've messed up and so if I get in it, I'm gonna be instructed back to the past. Like my sin is the very reason to go to the book. Instead of putting it down and becoming discouraged and overwhelmed by my sin or my mistakes or whatever, I'm like, no, look what I did, I gotta go. And then when I go back, it brings me back. Whether I feel like it or not, I read this book. It's alive and powerful. That's what the author of Hebrews said. I was giving a talk years ago to a bunch of middle school students. My text was Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Here's what it says. For the word of God is alive and powerful. This isn't a textbook. This isn't a book about literature. This isn't a history book. I mean, it has literature. It has history. It has all that stuff. It has theology. This is not even a book of theology, although all the theology is in this book. No, this book is alive and it's powerful. 
And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And here's what it does. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, if that were even possible. Between the joints and the marrow and your bones, if that were even possible. And then look what he says. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Whoa. When you get into this book, it reveals your true motives. Why you did what you did. Why you didn't do what you didn't do. And it brings to light the, 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 the infection in the soul that you have. It's like... It's like you open up this book and it acts like a surgeon and the surgeon cuts deep into the infection, not to harm you, not to make you feel bad, to heal your soul. See, it's not about reading this book. It's about letting this book read you. It's not about getting through this book. It's about getting this book through you. It converts the soul. So it's not like flossing to me. It's something that I need every single day and so do you because it brings us back to God. It brings us back to life. And then number two, David says in Psalm 19 there, he says that the word of God gives us wisdom. Oh, how badly we need wisdom today in our world, how to navigate life. Look what he says in the end of verse seven, watch this. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul, the decrees of the Lord, another word for for, for the scriptures, the decrees, they're trustworthy, making wise the simple. What does the word simple mean? Well, foolish. We all come into this world foolish. And we need to grow in wisdom. How much pain have you endured in your life that was self-inflicted? Why did I do that? Why did I start dating him? Why did I start dating her? Why did I buy that? Why did I invest in that? Why did I take that job? Why did I go there? Why did... <laughs> wisdom or lack of wisdom. David says, you know, this book is a source of wisdom. Not not knowledge. You can gather up knowledge about God, but knowledge is different than wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Wisdom is, is knowing how things work and knowing how to parent that child. Knowing how to love that wife. Knowing how to love your husband. Knowing how to handle the money such that, such that you know, money blesses you instead of curses you. Like that's wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge of life. How do things work? Well, we get into this book and we, we have wisdom about sexuality. We have wisdom about relationships. We forfeit wisdom when we fail to get in this book and read it and study it. How much wisdom have you left on the table because you're so busy, you don't have time. It's like flossing to you. Wisdom, David says, go to it, go to it. It'll make you wise for life. And then number three, perhaps the most important one, David says that the word of God brings joy to your heart. Brings joy to your heart. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. (laughs) Joy, what is joy? Joy is hard to define, you know, um, it's not really happiness. Happiness, I feel like, is connected to like circumstances going well. Uh, you get the job, you got the loan, whatever. You know, the cancer results were negative, so there's there's a there's a there's a happiness that's connected to certain events that that go well. I think joy runs deeper. Listen to what listen to what David says in verse eight. He says this: the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Isn't that where we need it? The soul. What is joy? Well, I'm going to go to Dallas Willard here. He's kind of my guy for, for, for this, this sort of stuff. He gives a lot of definitions. This is what he says about joy. Joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure, or I would say happiness. 
It's a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being. I would have added to that that is not connected to circumstances, whether they're good or bad. A person can have joy in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of racial uh, uh, you know, tension all across the country, in the midst of whatever's going on in their life, whether it's in the nation or personal. A person can have joy whether or not this president gets elected or that president gets elected. Hello. Am I talking to anybody right now? Some of you are like, I am going to jump off the end of the earth if he gets elected again or if he gets elected. It's like, oh, relax, relax. You can have joy regardless of circumstances. David says that that joy comes from the word of God. You know, I'm not that smart. I really, I'm not, I'm really not. I don't have a PhD. I don't, I don't have, I'm not, just not that smart. So, uh, I just kind of listen to basic advice, common sense, and I'm like, dude, that sounds good, I'm gonna go do that. So back in college, I had a professor who would always quote this verse from Jeremiah, and, and I always thought it was kind of odd, you'll see in a second why I thought it was odd, but he would just, it would just come out of him, he would quote it. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, this is the prophet says, your words were found, or I found your words, and I ate them. And I always had this image of like, like somebody eating the Bible, like, arr, 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 arr. You know, it's just an odd statement. You know, I, I, so I found your words and I ate them. Well, not physically eat them, but you know, you, you spiritually ingest them into yourself. Like your words were found and I ate them. And, and then something happened after he ate them. Watch this. And your words became to me, say it with me, my joy. A little bit louder, my joy. There it is. Not only were they my joy, they were the delight of my heart. They were delicious it's like a, like a, like a, my favorite meal or steak or whatever it is that you do, kind of food you do. Like this is a delightful meal that brings joy to my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I've just never forgotten that verse. And I was like, you know, I'm not that smart. So he says that the word of God brings me joy. Not sure how that works. I'm just gonna do it. So I started doing it 20 years ago. My wife reminded me the other day, it's been 20 years since we were in college. Thanks, honey. And I've just been thinking, well, I've been meditating on God's word. I've been, I've been taking God's word into my mind for 20 years. Not because I'm a pastor. I started way before I became a pastor. I started thinking about some of the scriptures in my mind, like Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I fear? He's the stronghold of my life. Why should I be afraid? Oh, so much, so much encouragement and joy from that passage. I started thinking about some others, like Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. It says, don't worry about anything, but within everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, so, so many times in my life, when I'm down, when worry comes in, I quote that verse. Or how about this one? Some of, this, some of you remember this one. These are some of my favorites, okay? I've got a lot in my head, but these are some of my favorites. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Oh. Just puts me right back into that spot of trusting and walking with God. And he renews your strength. This is the power of meditation, right? Or how about Psalm 41, verse 10? Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So many times. Not because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, please trust me. But because I'm a Christ follower and I'm looking for life. I'm looking to put my roots down deep into the ground so it taps into the spirit of the water and it flows up through my branch and there's fruit. There's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience in the midst of difficult times when people should be angry, when you should be upset, when you should be bitter, when you should be holding resentment. Instead, there's love and there's joy and there's forgiveness and there's peace and there's calm. Where's that come from? It doesn't just happen. It comes when you take the word of God into your mind, into your heart, and you soak it in. And you, by through meditation, you get it deep down into your soul. And then life happens, and, and, then, and this happens. What comes out? What comes out? The fruit, the joy, the peace, the patience. See, getting into this book is, is not like flossing. It's not, it's not like that. It's, it's a treasure. It's flawless. It revives your soul. It gives you wisdom. It brings joy to your heart. Dallas Willard said it like this. He said, the word of God is a a real substance. Think about that. The word of God is a real substance that nourishes our body and soul. See, I'm not that smart. Dallas is really smart. He was a PhD professor at University of Southern California. His main uh, topic of study was uh, 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 philosophy. he was the chair in the, of the philosophy department at University of Southern California, but then he also wrote Christian books on the side. I was like, he's really smart. I'm not, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with that. And here's what I found. The word of God is a substance. And when you take it into your soul through meditation, it, it does something to you. It nourishes your body and your soul. And the fruit on your branches will grow and your leaves will not perish and whatsoever you do will prosper. I don't know if this is helping you, but it sure helps me. If the only person here in this sermon is me, I'm blessed. I often tell people the best preaching I do is not to my people, it's to myself. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? I just explained to you, I gave you a very good argument as to why you need the word of God in your life every single day. What do you do with that? Well, here's my challenge. We create a daily habit. See, and if you go back to Psalm 1, it says that he or she meditated how often? In the morning and in the evening, day and night. By the way, this is exactly what God told Joshua when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land. Do you remember Joshua chapter one, verse eight? One of my favorites, one of my favorites. You gotta get this one down. God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. It's through the daily morning and evening meditation of God's word in your heart that gives you the insight, the wisdom, the joy, and the strength to live in the kingdom of God. I believe the energy and the source and the power to live in the kingdom of God, with God, as Jesus invites us to, to seek the kingdom, is, it comes through this book. This is the guidebook for living in the kingdom and how to do it. 
how to deal with your enemies, how to forgive those who've hurt you, how to deal with lust, how to deal with money. Everything you need to know to live the abundant life is in this book. And when we put it down and say, I don't have time, or I don't understand, or I don't know where to start, or I'm so busy, we forfeit that insight. Jesus put it like this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, the word abide means to stay. It just means to remain. If you will remain in my word, morning, afternoon, evening, you'll be my disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who is a follower, a student of Jesus, learning how to do life, how he would do it if he were them. That's what a disciple is. Are you learning how to live as Jesus would in your unique context? Well, you can't do it without abiding in the word. Why? Because that's the instructions of the teacher. How to handle stress, how to handle worry, how to handle a difficult boss, all these different things. We've got to abide in his word. So create a daily habit. So <clears throat> earlier, your campus pastors challenged you to download the YouVersion app. And the reason is because this is the easiest way to create a habit, is, is to get into the, uh, the, the habit or, uh, of, the U, uh, of using the YouVersion app. I do this every, every single day. I use the YouVersion app. So uh, the way I'm going to go here to the homepage of the app um, and what, you, what I love about this app is that you can actually search for a plan. So if you go down here to the tabs, there's a plan there. And uh, let's see if you, uh, let's see. I know how to do this here. Homepage. There we go. Well, here we go. Plans, plans. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I, let me see here. I'm trying to do it while I'm looking at you. Um, there's all different types of plans that you can get to. There's plans on anything that you want. You can search out plans on anxiety. You can search on plans for anger. You can, you can basically study any part of scripture that you want. There's seven-day plans. Right now, I'm on a 365-day plan. It's the one-year Bible. Uh, but there's 24-day uh, plans. There's 21-day plans. And, and really, what, 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 what it does is it gets you into the daily habit of using God's word. What I love most about this, not, not most, but one of the cool things uh, I like about it, is it shows you your streak. Now, I don't know if you're, uh, you like gamification stuff, but it shows how many days in a row that you've used the app. So right now, I'm at 487 straight days, 141 perfect weeks. Now, I don't say that to brag or like, look at me, I read the Bible every day, because that's not the point, right? It's about the Bible getting through you, not you getting through the Bible. Anyway, but I like the fact that I can see how many days I've done it. And the only reason it's not more days is because we went on vacation one time and they didn't have Wi-Fi and I was too cheap, too cheap to use data, so I broke my streak. See, your pastor's cheap. Anyway, <laughs> so I had to start over at zero. Anyway, so, so, you, you, so there's just all kinds of things you can do on this. This app was actually created by a church in the, in the United States called the, the Life Church, and uh, it has been downloaded over 400 million times across the world. Listen, that's more people that live in the United States. It's unbelievable how many times this, this app has been downloaded. It has been translated into over 1,300 uh, languages. There are over 2,000 versions of the scripture in all these different languages. So we really have no excuse to not get into the word of God every single day. That's what I have for you today. How do, you, how do I become a person after God's own heart? I would say that loving his word is actually what made all of the other things David did possible, his willingness to obey, his desire to please God over the man, and his, and his, 
his desire to repent from his sin, all come from his love from God's word. Will you become that person? Will it be said of you at your funeral that mom was a woman after God's own heart? Dad lived his life. He loved God. He aligned his heart. He wasn't perfect, but man, his heart was after God. Will someone stand at your funeral and say those words? Do you want that fruit in your life? Do you want your tree to be filled with fruit and all that you do to prosper? Well, it's up to you to create that daily habit of being in God's word. What I love about this book is that it doesn't just give us instruction for life now. It tells us how to prepare for the next life. In many different passages, we see words like this. These are some words from Jesus, John 3:16. Some of you are familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, whoever has faith in Jesus will not have their soul perish. What does that mean? That's not physical death. Everybody dies physically, but not everybody dies spiritually. If you don't have faith in Christ, you will die spiritually. What that means is that you will spend eternity apart from God. But God says, I don't want that. I don't want you to spend eternity apart from me. I want you to spend eternity with me. So I've sent Christ to die on a cross for your sins. If you would believe in him, if you would trust in him, if you would put your confidence in him and your faith in him and ask him to wash you and forgive you of your sins, your soul will not perish. Instead, you will receive eternal life. And it starts here before you die, but it continues after you die. Your soul will flourish after death. In fact, Jesus said one time, whoever believes in me will never die. You might die physically, but your soul lives on. Do you have faith in Christ? Have you you believed in Jesus to forgive you of your sins? If you haven't and you would like to do that and you'd like to become a Christ follower, a disciple, a believer in Jesus, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of belief. It's a prayer of faith. You take these words, make them your own. Reach out to God right now and ask him to forgive you of your sins. He's died on the cross for you. He paid the penalty that you should have paid. He covered the debt that you owed so that you could be forgiven. If you feel led to trust him right now, just take these words, make them your own. Just pray to him right now. Say this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. It's not a perfect faith. It's small, but it's real. I reach out to you and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe you died for me, died in my place. So I ask you to wash me right now, cleanse me and make me your child. I trust you. And from this day forward, Teach me to love your word so that my heart can be filled with joy and wisdom. You can turn me back when I drift away. Give me a heart after yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen, amen. We've put a little box together for you. It's called our saved box. 
Inside this box, there is a copy of a New Testament, uh, a Bible from us to you. And there's also a cup in here, a little mug that's uh, this is a congratulatory uh, gift for you for trusting Christ. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, we will get one of these to you. There's also some instructions in here on how to get involved in the church, baptism, small group, and some other stuff like that. And so if you'd uh, text that word, we'll get one of these to you in the mail. Can we give, uh, can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much that we can come to your word. It's flawless, it's perfect. It's refined like like silver seven times. And because of that, it's trustworthy. It's like treasure. It gives us life, wisdom, and joy. Give us, as a group of people, a passion and desire to read it study it, meditate on it so that we can sink our roots down deep into that river. Pull up strength and see fruit grow all over our trees, all over our lives for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I want to hand things off to all of our local teams. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.